Well, good morning, everyone. And it's good to see you guys. My name's Aaron. I'm one of the pastors here at Bridgewater. And uh, I've missed you guys over the last couple of weeks, so welcome back. It's good to see you. We are in the middle of a series called The Final Countdown. And um, here's what we're wrestling with. Let me kind of set the stage for you, okay? On October 7th of 2023, a group of militant Palestinians that call themselves Hamas crossed over the border of Gaza and went into Israel and carried out an attack. In one day, 1,200 people lost their lives. Almost another 300 people were taken hostage and taken back into Gaza, as far as we know. Since then, a war has been raging all over the Middle East, and at least 20,000 people have lost their lives. This war has been spreading throughout the Middle East, and tensions have been rising. And any time a war begins in the Middle East, any time something involves Israel, people who have uh, spent a little bit of time, at least, looking at their Bibles, start to ask questions. They start to wonder And they go, hmm, what is happening? Is this the end? Is this something like what the end of the Bible talks about and leads us up to? And with those questions in mind, over the next couple of weeks, we're going to look at what the scripture has to say about the end and what we should watch for and and what we should do. If you weren't able to join us online last week, since we weren't able to meet in person, I want to give you a quick update about what we talked about last week. You see, this war in the Middle East is not new. I wish I could say it was, but it's not. It's actually been going on for uh, about 5,000 years now. Because it started when Abraham and Sarah, two people that we read about in the Old Testament, people that God made promises to, when, when they decided to try to find a workaround to speed God's process up. They'd been waiting for a while. They'd been waiting for a promised child and a family and land and all sorts of things, and it just wasn't coming, and it certainly wasn't coming fast enough, and they'd been waiting, I mean, 30 years, and and can I be honest, they waited longer than I would have, and they decided to take matters into their own hands. Abraham, instead of waiting for the promised child who was eventually born, his name was Isaac, he had a child with another woman, her name was Hagar, and the child's name was Ishmael. And history shows us that Ishmael has become the the father of all of the Arab nations. And ever since that begun, there's just been this hatred and this war and this enmity in between Israel and the Arab nations. Last week, we talked about that. We talked about how shortcuts don't work. And we wrestled with, well, is is this the end? Well, the scripture doesn't tell us for sure, but it does tell us that Jesus is coming back. And so we need to be ready. In fact, that's the very thing that we're going to talk about this week, how to live ready for the return of Jesus. You see, the Bible does make it very clear that Jesus will come back. 
Did you know that? The the story of Jesus is not done uh, at the cross, certainly. The story of Jesus is not done at the tomb, certainly. The story of Jesus is not even done at the resurrection or what we celebrate at Easter. The story continues on. Jesus ascended to heaven and he promised to come back. In Mark chapter 13, Jesus talks to his disciples about this reality and the reality of the end. They were standing on the Mount of Olives and they were pointing across the the Kidron Valley, which is the valley that separates the the Mount of Olives and the the Temple Mount. And you could see the temple right there. And they pointed and they said, look at how beautiful these buildings are. And they said, yeah, Jesus said, yeah, you're right. They are beautiful. But here's what I want you to know. The time is coming where not one stone will stand stacked on top of another. It will all be leveled and, and destroyed. The end is coming. And, of course, they had questions. I mean, if, if I went to some place important in our culture, let's, if I went to D.C. and stood in front of the Washington Monument or, or, or you know, the, the White House or the Capitol Building and, and somebody said, ah, the day's coming when that's going to be destroyed, I'd, I'd have a few questions. And so they started asking, and Jesus began to explain. And to culminate it all, Jesus said this. In Mark chapter 13 and verse 32, Jesus said this. He said, however, no one knows the day or the hour when these things will happen. Not even the angels in heaven or the Son himself. Only the Father knows. Nobody knows. The answer to the question, is this the end? Nobody knows. If somebody begins to tell you, hey, I know Uh, We're getting close. Here's the day. I've got a a suggestion for you. Um, Run. (laughs) Because Jesus already answered the question nobody knows. Not even the angels, not the Son himself, only the Father. And since nobody knows, Jesus gave them some instructions. In fact, here's what he said in verse 33. He said this, and since You don't know when that time will come. Be on guard. Stay alert. He's saying, don't go to sleep. Be about what I put in front of you. Stay alert. Wake up. Be aware. And then he gave an illustration to his disciples to help them understand what it would look like to live ready. And this illustration sets us up to answer the question, how do we live ready for the return of Jesus? Okay, that's what we're going to get to. But I want you to show you this illustration that Jesus talks about when it comes to what we should be doing in light of the fact that Jesus could come back at any time. He could at any time. He says this. He says, the, the coming of the Son of Man can be illustrated by the story of a man going on a long trip. He's going to tell a story that helps them understand what they should do. When he left home, he gave each of his slaves or servants instructions about the work that they were to do. So he's getting ready to go, and he says, here's what I want you to do. Here are the things that need to be done. By the way, Jesus has given us us instructions in the New Testament about what we should be doing. Do you know that? He has given us clear instruction about how to live our lives in a way that glorifies him. He's told us that we should be all about not only growing in our own personal relationship and living out our faith and and bringing our lives into conformity with his, but also helping others know him too. He's given us work to do. 
Then he goes on, he says, and he told the gatekeeper to watch for his return. Okay, pay attention, watch. Now, who is the gatekeeper in this story? I'm not quite sure. Some people think it's pastors. Some people think it's leaders, you know, whatever. Whoever it is, he's saying, watch, pay attention. But then he says this. He says, you too must keep watch. For you don't know when the master of the household will return, in the evening, at midnight, before dawn, or at daybreak. And then one final instruction, he says this, don't let him find you sleeping. When he arrives without warning, I say to you and to everyone, watch for him. That's what he says. So the illustration in talking about the end and all of that kind of has three parts, okay? Here, here they are. Let me give them to you. Number one, there's work to do. There's work. There's work for you and me to be about, okay? If you are a Christ follower, I want to be really clear, and we'll talk more about this in a little bit, there is work to do. Part two, watch for his return. We should be expectant. Like Jesus can come back, and, and, and here's the thing. I find the pull to just live my life and go about as if I'm going to be here until I'm like 99 years old, or who knows? I don't know. Okay, I doubt I'll live that long. I've probably been a little too rough on my body. But he's saying, no, we should live each day as if he could return, and this could be the end. And then third, don't be falling asleep. What's that mean? Don't be misusing your time. Don't be misusing your time while you're in middle school or high school. You have opportunities. Don't think that God can't use you. He absolutely can use you. He's got a plan for you. He wants to use you in incredible ways. Your 20s and 30s are not for you to find yourself or go and do whatever you, 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 you want. No, he's got work for you to do. Your 40s and 50s, he's got work for you to do. Your 70s and 80s, I skipped 60s, I'm sorry. All of the E's, <laughs> he's got work for you to do. Don't be misusing the time. Here, here's the point. Jesus is going to return, plain and simple. I just don't know when, so I need to be ready. And so do you. Now, thankfully... There is a, a portion of the New Testament that gives us clear instruction on how to live ready. There's, there's a book of the Bible that, that is a, a little bit confusing in parts of it. It's hard to understand, but it talks all about the, the end of time, and it talks about God's plan for the end, and it gives us instruction on how to live ready. The, the section that I'm referring to is, is a book called the Book of the Revelation of Jesus Christ. Ever, ever heard of it? It's a little, a little confusing in portions, but, but it talks about things that have happened and things that are happening and things that will happen, and it gives us clarity on how we can live ready, okay? And I want to show you kind of the introductory chapter because it's there that we find the first step to living ready. In verse 1 of Revelation chapter 1, it says this, this is a revelation or a, an, an explanation, a, a making clear uh, from Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants the events that must soon take place. Through this teaching, he's, he's revealing what's yet to happen. He sent an angel to present this revelation to his servant, 
John. John was one of the 12. John was uh, one of the original disciples, and he was eventually banished to an island called Patmos, and he, he was, he was kind of left there because he was declaring the good news of Jesus Christ, and while he was there, he received this message from Jesus himself. In verse 4, the, we get a description of the letter. He says this, this letter is from John 2 the seven churches in the province of Asia. By the way, that's modern-day Turkey. So he's writing to seven different churches across uh, Asia Minor, modern-day Turkey, and he says this, Grace and peace to you from the one who is, who always was, and who is still to come. From the sevenfold spirit before his throne. What, What is going on here? Grace and peace to you from the one who is, who always was, and who is still to come. Who's that talking about? I'll give you a hint. It's Jesus. It's talking about his eternality. It's talking about the fact that he was involved in the creation of the world. He's been here since the very beginning. He, he is, he always was, and he is still to come. And the sevenfold spirits is talking about the Holy Spirit, more than likely giving us a description of his perfection. And he ends... He ends this section by saying, and from Jesus Christ, and he goes into describing him. He is what? Well, if we're going to live ready, if you're going to be able to live ready, is this the end? I don't know, but we need to be able to live ready. If you're going to live ready, there are two steps that I think that we need to be able to take, okay? And that's what we're going to step through here today. Step number one is you need to know who Jesus is. The scripture, these verses, give us insight into who he is. In verse five, he picks up and he says this, from Jesus Christ, he is the faithful witness to these things. He is the first to rise from the dead. He is the ruler of the kings of the world. He is the one that all glory goes to, and he loves us, and he has freed us from our sins by shedding his blood for us. Verse 6, he has made us a kingdom of priests for God, his Father. All glory and power to him forever and ever, amen. Verse 7, look, he comes with the clouds of heaven, and everyone will see him, even those who pierced him, and all the nations of the world will mourn for him. Yes, amen. He says this, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, says the Lord God. I am the one who is, who always was, and who is still to come, the Almighty One. Now, if you're going to live ready, you need to know who Jesus is. Well, who is Jesus? There's six descriptors of Jesus given to us here. Number one, he is the faithful witness. He is the one who reveals to us the Father. He shows us who he is. He shows us what is true. You know what's interesting? I have for years wrestled internally 
with this, this, this feeling that, man, I'm not enough or I couldn't do enough or be enough for God. Maybe you can identify. And yet when Jesus shows up on the, on the scene and we see him interacting with people, never was he interacting with them as if they weren't enough. His grace was always enough. People who were nothing like Jesus were flocking to Jesus. In fact, people who were the opposite of Jesus and had lived the opposite of Jesus. People, people who, who in, in human standards did not me- measure up. Jesus was bringing them in with open arms and pointing them to the love of the Father, the grace of our great God. He was showing us the heart of the Father. Jesus is a faithful witness, showing us who the Father is. Second, he is the firstborn from the dead, or firstborn through resurrection. Jesus is the first one to go through that process to show us what is available to us. There will be a day when we will be raised. You understand that? And Jesus is proof. His story didn't end in a tomb. It didn't stop there. He was raised from the dead. And the reality is that you and I will be raised again. He is the first fruit or the proof that that is going to happen. Third, he is the ruler of the kings of the earth. You want to know who Jesus is? He's in charge. This gives me great comfort. There are times that I get a little... uh, uncomfortable what's happening politically in our world. Can anybody identify? But the reality is that I don't have to freak out. Nothing happens without his approval. There are things that I don't like. Certainly there are things that rulers do that he doesn't like. But I'm convinced that God allows things that he hates to accomplish things that he loves. He's in charge. There's no reason for me to freak out when somebody's in office that I don't like or you don't like. He is the ruler of the kings of the earth. Fourth, he is the one who sets us free from our sin. Yeah. That thing that we don't like to talk about, that we keep struggling with over and over and over. Can I just tell you, the only one who can set you free is Jesus. I, I don't know if, if it's, it's your tongue or your eyes or, or your mind or whatever it might be, but there can be all sorts of things that can be like these, these struggles that just hang on and don't seem to be able to let go. The reality is Jesus is the one who sets us free. And the more I run to him and the faster I run to him, the quicker I tend to find deliverance personally. That's who he is. Number five. He made us a kingdom of priests. You know what that means? If you are in Christ, you have direct access to the Father. You have the ability to run straight to the Father and talk to him, and he hears you instantaneously. One of, the, one of the great privileges that I have as a pastor is that lots of people will call me and they'll say, hey, will you pray for this? Will you pray over this? I got this going on in my life, and can I just tell you, I, I love that, and I am glad to be able to do that, and I want you to do that. I get to be a shepherd and, and, and care for you, but can I just tell you, my prayers don't get there any faster than yours. 
I don't have an elevator directly to God that's any different than yours. So please don't discount your prayers. Yeah, I'll pray for you. I'll pray right alongside you, but I promise you, yours get there just as fast as mine do. And they're just as effective. Because you have been made a kingdom of priests. You have direct access to the Father. Number six, who is Jesus? He's the one who's coming back. And you know what I found living in turbulent times and what I found, the scripture tells us that things will get worse and worse and worse until Jesus comes back. I have found that, that it can be easy to get scared about my children, but parents, can I tell you, the number one thing you can do is not freak out about our world, but that the number one thing you can do is teach your kids about Jesus because he will hold them fast in the midst of turmoil. You want to know what you're going to need when things get rough? You're going to need to know Jesus. You're going to need to know who he is, that he is faithful, that you have the hope of the resurrection, that he is in charge, that, that he will set you free. He will set your kids free. He will set your family members free. He has given you direct access to the Father, and he hasn't abandoned you. He hasn't left you an orphan. He is coming back. That's who Jesus is. See, if you're going to be able to be ready for the return of Jesus, you need to know who he is. There might be another way in which you, you need to know who Jesus is, though, as well. You see, if you're anything like me, I find countless ways to mess things up. Can anybody identify Okay, only a few of you are brave and raised your hand, but thank you. Uh, I, I find countless ways to, to mess things up. I've been doing it since I was young. And the reality is that I, I have found ways to break my relationship with God because of sin. The problem's not with him. The problem's with me. And the scripture tells me that Jesus didn't just come to teach me about God. His story didn't end with the crucifixion. His story didn't end with the, the tomb. His story actually didn't even end with the resurrection, but he came and he did all of that to set me free. And one of, one of Jesus' followers, about 20 years after his death, burial, and resurrection, wrote, about faith in Christ. And he said this in Romans chapter 10, verse 9. He said, if you openly declare that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Two steps. Number one, openly declare that Jesus is in charge. Number two, believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead. Guess what? You will be made right with God. Do you know Jesus that way? Do you? Because you need to be ready. He's coming back. Now, when we finish chapter 1 of Revelation, we see that Jesus is just ramping up his messaging. And he decides to take the time to write seven very personal messages to the seven churches he already mentioned in Asia Minor. 
And he has a purpose behind that. He wants to remind them not only of who he is, but secondly, what they're supposed to be doing. See, let me point out these, these seven churches to you, first of all, okay? Uh, here, here's a map of modern-day Turkey, and he be, then writes to these seven churches, to Ephesus, to Smyrna, to Pergamos, to Thyatira, to Sardis, to Philadelphia, and Laos, Laodicea. Chapter, chapter 2 and 3 of Revelation is, is focused on these seven letters. Today, I want to just grab one of them and show you the second step to living ready for the return of Jesus. We're going to look at the church of Laodicea. It starts in Revelation chapter 13, verse 14. Here's what it says. Write this letter to the angel of the church in Laodicea. Now, what, what does this mean? Write this letter to the angel of the church. There, there's different ideas. Could it be that there, were, there was actually a physical, like an actual angel there? Maybe. Why would they need a letter? I don't know. But it, another idea is that the angel is in reference to the pastor, or the word can actually be messenger that can be used there. So write this letter to the messenger of the... We're going to say messenger just so you don't get confused as to who pastors are, okay? Uh, not that there's any confusion. <laughs> but to the messenger of the church in Laodicea, this is the message from the one who is the amen, the faithful and the true witness, the beginning of God's creation. So here, he's writing to the church in Laodicea. And there are four pieces of background that you need to know and understand in, in what he writes to the church at Laodicea. Okay, number one, Laodicea sat in between two cities, Hierapolis and Colossae. Okay, Hierapolis had a hot spring and they would pipe water into Laodicea. Colossae had a cold spring and they would pipe water into Laodicea. Now Laodicea sat kind of up on a plateau in between the two mountains and they didn't have water them, themselves. In fact, here you can see kind of the thoroughfare where there would have been the agora or the market on either side of, of this uh, walkway in Laodicea. They had a water problem. They piped water into Laodicea through these lead pipes and by the time the water got there, not only was it tepid, but it was disgusting. Lime buildup, and all sorts of deposits from the lead, it was not good. Second, Laodicea was a banking center. It was known for being a place where everybody would bank, and so it was a very wealthy area. They had a lot of money there. Third, they had developed in Laodicea an eye salve that people from all over the country came to heal eyesight problems. They were known for that. Fourth, they became an area of commerce revolving around textiles because they developed a black dye for wool that made them very, very famous, and they sold a lot of wool from there. With those four things in mind, let's look at what Jesus has to say to the church in Laodicea. He says in verse 15, I know, he says this, I know all the things you do, that you are neither hot nor cold. I wish you were one or the other. He says, you're a lot like your water, kind of good for nothing. That's what he's saying. 
And then he says in verse 16, but since you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. Boy, that doesn't sound like the Jesus that we're used to, does it? He seems to be serious for people who are believers about what their lives look like. Can we keep that in mind? Jesus seems to be very serious about whether or not we're obeying him. Then he goes on, verse 17. You say I am rich. I have everything I want. I don't need a thing. And you don't realize that you are wretched and miserable, poor, blind, naked. We're a banking center, but we're poor. We specialize in eye care, but we're blind. We sell all sorts of textiles, but you're naked. What in the world is going on here? What is going on? See, here's what's going on. If you're going to be ready for the return of Jesus, not only do you need to know who Jesus is, you've got to obey what Jesus says. So then Jesus says this to them. He says, I advise you to buy gold from me, gold that's been purified by fire. Then you will be rich. Also buy white garments from me so you will not be shamed by your nakedness and ointment for your eyes so you will be able to see. Verse 19, I correct and discipline everyone I love, so be diligent and turn from your indifference. He's saying repent. Now, what in the world is this talking about? Let me, let me just point out three observations, okay? Number one, here, here's the thing. They were physically rich, but they were spiritually poor because they were, engaged, they were not engaging anyone with help or hope. You realize that Christians can lose their way and live their lives all about themselves, right? Physically, they were rich. They had everything they needed. But they weren't engaging anyone with help or hope. Jesus says, you are poor spiritually. Second, they were physically clothed. Yeah, they, they had all the physical clothing. But spiritually, they were naked because they depended on themselves without resting in Christ. Do you realize that we make ourselves naked when we refuse the clothing of Christ and we try to go on our own? Jesus says, just, just trust me and wait on me. We try to find our identity in, in our performance or in so many other things. And, and, and Jesus says, no, it's in me. Trust me. Wait on me doing third they were healing physical physical eyes but they couldn't see spiritually to invest in the things that matter for eternity he's saying you're a church yeah you gather in my name yeah but you aren't laying up treasures in heaven oh you may show up and go to a service great are you serving are you sharing are you generous are you witnessing that's what's going on. So Jesus says to them, stop passing the time and missing your purpose. 
if you are going to be ready for the return of Jesus, the two steps are, number one, you need to know who Jesus is. Number two, you need to obey what Jesus says. But here's how Jesus wraps it up. He says this, look, I stand at the door and knock. If you hear my voice and open the door, I will come in and I will share a meal together as friends. We will share a meal together. If you will repent, if you will let me in, if you will know me as I truly am and obey me as you're called to do, here's the deal. We'll commune together. It'll be great. But if you keep the door shut and you keep doing your own thing, it's not going to go well. You want to live ready? This is how. Verse 21, those who are victorious will sit with me on my throne. What a promise. <laughs> if you're ready and you're living ready, you're going to sit with Jesus on his throne. Woo! That's exciting. Just as I was victorious and sat with my father on his throne. And then he ends it all by saying this, anyone who has ears to hear. Because that's really the question, isn't it? Will we listen? And it's not just a question of whether or not you heard him. But really, the only way we know you're listening is if you obey. Anyone who has ears to hear must listen to the Spirit and understand what he is saying to the churches. But so often, we live our lives. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not just saying to you. I'm saying we. So often, we live our lives doing our own thing, and we get caught up in the day-to-day, -day and we leave him out. And I'm telling you, he's coming back. So watch, and don't let him find you sleeping. If, if we keep neglecting what he's saying, and we don't listen to what he's saying, it is not going to go well, because when you consistently neglect the Spirit of God and the message of God, your passion for the things of God will decrease. And he's going to show up. And what will he find? So here's what I want to ask you. What if anything, what if anything is getting in the way of you pursuing not only God, but pursuing others to know him? What, what is distracting you from knowing him and obeying him? That's the question. I want to give you another date before I close in prayer. I talked about October 7th. I want to talk about January 12th. January 12th, 2024 was the day that my grandfather passed into eternity. And when I heard the news, my dad and I had been preparing to go and, and see him, uh, leaving later today, but it, it's not going to happen. Um, when I heard the news, I sat and began to play over every conversation that I've had with my grandfather in my head. My grandfather went to church. I've talked with him about the gospel. I, I, I think he may have believed, but I never heard those words. 
And that bothers me. And it made me think, I want to make sure you're ready. And I hope you'll want to make sure that the people that you love are ready too. When we leave today, I want to give you a resource so that you can continue to dig into these seven churches. Something that I wrote as a study on, it's a seven-day study on the seven churches of Revelation 2 and 3. This is something that you can do on your own. You'll get them. They'll have them at the door if you want one, or you can scan the QR code that was on the paper when you got it, and you can do it online. I would love for you to be able to dive in and learn more about what it looks like to obey Jesus. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you. Thank you for your son and all that he has done. Thank you that he is more than enough to pay for my sin and for the sins of the whole world. And thank you that, that he gives us an anchor in the midst of, of, of a turbulent world. He gives us an anchor in the midst of, of difficulty. God, I pray that we would know him and trust him and that we would obey him until he comes back. That we would be watching, that we would be expectant, that we would be ready. We pray in Jesus' name.